You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Hey, if you have Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 this morning. Uh, page 46 is where you can find that text in most of the, the hardcover Bibles that, uh, that Bob mentioned just a moment ago. And something that you probably don't know, uh, something you, you probably don't know, is that you are currently attending the award-winning Liberty Church. The award-winning Liberty Church. Okay, so about a week ago, we received an email informing us that we had won a Best of Camp Hill Award in the church category. Okay? Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you should applaud or not. I'm not sure if that's, yeah, I don't know. But One winner per category, according to this email, Liberty Church receives the award for best church. I'm still not quite sure how legit this is. Uh, And upon further examination, it's the kind of award where they're like, congratulations, now you can pay us a lot of money to buy plaques to display like in your office. It's like that kind of award. So needless to say, we bought 20. There'll be one in all of the rooms around the building next week. We're looking into like a billboard to put on the roof. It's going to be, we're leaning into it. It's going to be great. It's probably obvious. Um, I don't put a lot of stock in awards like that. Uh, but far more telling, actually, really interesting to me, was my initial response when, when our staff team received that email. My first thought, in essence, was, why? Why? Like, like even if this is legit, there's probably some mistake. Like, we're just not, we're just not that good of a, of a church. So maybe, maybe this resonates with you. I, I'm someone who, by default, fixates on shortcomings and inadequacies. Fixates on the things that just aren't as good as I, as I want them to be. Uh, the truth is, I think I can say with a straight face, we are a good church. I'm not comfortable saying we're the best <laughs> Uh, of anything, but we, and we certainly have a ton of room to, to grow in different areas as a church. But sometimes when we receive encouraging news, really encouraging, really good news, instead of rejoicing or rallying behind it, we respond instead with all of the reasons why it's probably wrong. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, Moses receives infinitely better news than a Best of Camp Hill award. He receives this news that God is going to come down to deliver his people and that Moses is going to be the human instrument of that deliverance. But as we're going to read in a second, instead of rejoicing, instead of rallying behind that, Moses makes excuses. He becomes fixated on his inadequacy and on his insufficiency. So I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, to the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Skip down to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Verse 13, but he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. 
Almighty God, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. By your spirit's power, we pray, even in this moment, teach us. Bring our every thought captive to obeying Christ. And we pray that in his name. Amen. So Exodus chapter 3 picks up Moses' story about 40 years later. I mentioned last week that, that entire decades and centuries pass by in this book with like a couple words. But when Moses encounters God here at the burning bush, it wasn't just a few days or a few weeks later. It was 40 years later. For 40 years, Moses had been living with the Midianites. He'd been raising a family. He'd been shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. He's made this full transformation from Egyptian royalty to a shepherd, which is one of the most detestable professions in the eyes of the, the Egyptians. And so as we heard last week, spending his first 40 40 years thinking he was somebody, he's now spent another 40 years learning that he's a nobody. And then on this otherwise unexceptional day, the angel of the Lord appears to him and God calls to him, speaks with him from a burning bush. Ordinary day, extraordinary phenomenon, right? It's on fire, but it's not being consumed, And this burning bush is a picture that God is both, as one author put it, above us and among us. He is both holy, but he is also near. It's hard to imagine something more commonplace in the wilderness or on a mountain than a bush. God God works among us. He is near to us in the ordinary, in the commonplace. But this bush is on fire, which throughout scripture is a symbol of God's holiness that God is distinct from and transcendent over his creation, that God is pure in a way that inspires awe and fear among impure people like us. So so God tells Moses to take his sandals off, to recognize the holiness of this place, to show reverence. And Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. And then in verse 10, from the midst of this burning bush, God calls Moses to an immense task that will shape the trajectory of the rest of his life. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. The rest of our time this morning, I just want to explore three things from Moses' calling and his encounter with God here at the burning bush. I want to talk about the wrong deliverer, the right deliverer, and the real deliverer. So first, let's talk about the wrong deliverer. Moses' words, like almost all of his words in this text are excuses. Why he should not be the deliverer of God's people. In Moses' eyes, he's the wrong one. He's the wrong deliverer. And he offers God multiple reasons, but all of them are about his own insufficiency. Moses believes that he is inadequate, that he is insufficient to fulfill this calling from God. What are the reasons? Well, for one thing, he has an insufficient resume. Insufficient resume. Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? When you and I write our our resumes, if you're updating a resume, we always try to emphasize relevant experience. Relevant experience. We want to show that we have skills and training that have prepared us for this work, for this job that we're applying for. So when I sent my resume to the existing Liberty Churches in Philadelphia about 12 years ago, I emphasized uh, my volunteer and my paid work in other local churches. 
I did not emphasize that during college, I was the mascot of a minor league hockey team. Not particularly relevant to that. Maybe as an award-winning church, we need a mascot though now. And I'm, I'm ready. I have the experience ready to go for that. Moses is thinking here, why me? God, there has to be a mistake. Now, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, I was maybe the right choice. 40 years ago, I was royalty in Egypt. I had position. I had power. I had energy. I was 40 years younger. But now, after I've been gone for this long, I might have been a deliverer then. I am a shepherd now. I am a nobody. My resume and my experience is insufficient. In addition, Moses has an insufficient reputation. Insufficient reputation. Two different times in chapter 3, verse 13, and chapter 4, verse 1, he's convinced that the elders and the people of Israel are not going to listen to him. They're not going to believe him. Again, he's been gone a long time. He's not really known among this generation of Israelites. And in the back of his mind, the experience from 40 years prior has to be looming large here. 40 years earlier, he tried to become a deliverer through his own exertion of strength. And seeing a few of his people oppressed, he murdered an Egyptian. But in in that moment, instead of then rallying behind him, like, okay, here's our guy, here's our deliverer, the Israelites rejected him. They said, who made you a, a prince over us? Who made you our judge? Now to represent all of God's people before the most powerful man in the world and then to lead all of those people out of Egypt, it's going to take a respected and compelling leader, someone with an impeccable reputation. And Moses is saying, my reputation is not that. My reputation is insufficient. Next excuse, insufficient rhetoric. Insufficient rhetoric. Chapter four, verse 10. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, we don't know exactly what Moses is referring to here. It's possible that he had uh, some form of speech impediment. Some scholars think that Moses perhaps had a stutter. It's possible, though, that, that after 40 years with the Midianites, he simply lost his command of the Egyptian language. He hasn't spoken it that much for a long time. It's also possible that after 40 years as a shepherd, he speaks a little bit more like a salt of the earth kind of guy than the flowery, eloquent, diplomatic kinds of language used by kings like Pharaoh and in courts like Egypt. So we don't know the specifics, but one way or another, Moses is convinced he does not have the speaking ability to pull this off. The deliverer of God's people needs to be persuasive and articulate and compelling in speech. Moses is not those things. So an insufficient resume, reputation, and rhetoric, and then having exhausted all of these excuses— Moses just has straight up reluctance. Chapter four, verse 13, please send someone else. In other words, I just don't want to do this, God. I just don't want to do it. A couple of weeks ago, as we, as we wrapped up our prayer series, Anthony preached from Isaiah chapter six. Uh, and in that passage, Isaiah, like Moses here, had a theophany, had a vision of God. And like Moses, Isaiah in that moment was filled with awe and was filled with fear. But unlike Moses, Isaiah's response was, here I am, send me. Moses is saying, in essence, here I am, send someone else. Send someone else. When we become fixated on our own insufficiency, we will fail to see the sufficiency of God. We will fail to see the sufficiency of God. On the surface, Moses' excuses make sense. Like there's some truth to the stuff he's saying here. But then you zoom out and remember 
God is speaking to him out of a bush that's on fire and not being consumed. You remember that Moses is looking at the angel of the Lord. And there's some debate about who exactly the angel of the Lord is. It's different from when the Bible says an angel. This says the angel of the Lord. One of the likely possibilities is that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, appearing to Moses before Jesus took on flesh and entered into the world. But Moses is so fixated on himself, he's so preoccupied with his insufficiencies, that though God is literally in front of him, though God is audibly speaking to him, he can't really see it. He can't really hear it. His insufficiencies are blinding him to the sufficiency of God. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you letting your insufficiencies blind you to God's sufficiency? Where are you experiencing reluctance right now? Where are you consumed or paralyzed by a sense of your own inadequacy? Our calling is not the same as Moses' calling. And unless you have an incredible story, I haven't heard, no one's been called like this in this room. But in our own callings, we, we also become so fixated and preoccupied with our insufficiency. We take our eyes off of the God who calls us and we build a case for why I'm the wrong one, we're the wrong one for the job. Here's the thing. The case that you build, the case that we build, is probably not wrong. It's probably not wrong. In so many ways, Moses is right about himself. He is insufficient for this. Left to his own devices, he's the wrong deliverer. He's just not the only one in the story. He's not the only person here. He needs to get his eyes off of himself and onto God. Because though Moses is the wrong deliverer, the God who calls him is the right one. And so second, let's talk about that. The right deliverer. Where Moses is insufficient to deliver the Israelites from slavery, God is overwhelmingly sufficient. And so throughout this text, God is responding to Moses' excuses with examples of his own sufficiency. First, sufficient mercy. Sufficient mercy. We start to see this actually at the end of chapter 2. During those 40 years that Moses is shepherding in Midian, the Israelites in Egypt cry out to God for help. And it says there at the end of chapter 2 that God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant and that God saw and that he knew their suffering. And God reiterates this very thing to Moses from the burning bush in chapter 3, verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. In other words, God is moved by the suffering of his people. And before he rises up to deliver them, he is moved by his own mercy. He is the God of sufficient mercy, the God who hears and remembers and sees and knows. Next, sufficient promises. Sufficient promises. Look again at chapter 3, verse 17. God says, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. See, God cares way more about delivering his people than Moses ever could. Salvation always, and in this moment, belongs to the Lord. Deliverance belongs to God. And God has already promised Abraham centuries earlier that though this family, though this this group of people would be afflicted in a distant land that was not their own, that God would one day bring them out. And so now, 400 years later, Moses is saying, God, what about my resume? It's not sufficient. What about my reputation? And God responds, no, Moses, what about my promises? What about my promises? 
I remember my promises. I keep my promises. I will deliver my people. Next, sufficient presence. Sufficient presence. In verse 11, Moses says, who am I to do this? And God says, well, Moses, I've got good news. You have won the best of Midian award in the category of shepherding. That organization's been around a long time, just doling out awards in Midian, Camp Hill, everywhere, okay? No, that's not what he says. In fact, rather than rattling off Moses' qualifications and achievements, rather than propping him up with a list of reasons of what Moses has done, God simply responds, how? But I will be with you. But I will be with you. The presence of God is sufficient. God never simply calls someone or sends someone. God goes with the one he sends. All of the, all the deep identity questions that you and I struggle with, all of the who am I questions, the best answer is that you are one whom God goes with. You are one, whom God go, you are one who goes with God. Before there is ever a word spoken about your qualifications or your abilities or your achievements, you are identified by your proximity and by your intimacy with the God of heaven and earth. You are identified by the sufficient presence of God with you. Next, a sufficient name. And there's so much here, it deserves its own sermon. But, but in this encounter, God reveals his personal name to Moses. God is a God named Yahweh meaning I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And as God says, this is my name forever. It's, it's a strong name. It's a, it's a holy name. It's a glorious and it's a gracious name. And what we're seeing especially is that it's a sufficient name. See, unlike Moses, who as we saw last week, his name means drawn out, who had to be drawn out of the Nile River, who needed deliverance himself. God, I am, self-existent, self-sufficient, never needed, never needs his own deliverance. His name means that he is the right deliverer, that he is the only one capable to actually deliver his people. We'll keep going. Sufficient power, sufficient power. At the beginning of chapter four, God gives Moses some signs that he can use to persuade the elders and people of Israel. And this is a, a glimpse, just a little foreshadowing of some of the power that God will display through Moses in the 10 plagues on Egypt. Uh, the signs are not magic tricks. The signs are demonstrations that God has sufficient power, that he's not merely a God who promises deliverance, but he actually has the power to deliver. He actually has the power to, to see it through. And then finally, sufficient help. Sufficient help. Moses, as he says, has an insufficient ability to speak. But God responds by saying, as one author put it, that this is both irreverent and irrelevant. So it's irreverent because chapter 4, verse 11, God didn't just create humanity. He specifically created man's mouth. And just as God can open blind eyes, God can make mute mouths, can make insufficient mouths speak. It's irrelevant because the very next verse, verse 12, God will be with his mouth and will teach him what to say. In other words, God is not only saying to Moses, I will be with you. He's saying, I will help you. I will help you. Insufficient speaking ability is irreverent and is irrelevant when you have the help of God. His help is more than sufficient. So you're hearing over and over again, God responds to Moses' excuses with examples of his own sufficiency. Moses is insufficient. He's the wrong deliverer. 
But God is the right one. God is the right one. And then here's the incredible thing. In the end, Moses becomes the real deliverer too. In the end, the wrong deliverer becomes the real deliverer. So third and final, let's talk about that. Who is the deliverer of the people of God from Egypt? Is it God or is it Moses? Yes. Okay. In a way, it's a both and kind of thing. In verse eight, chapter three, God says, I have come down to deliver my people. This is my work. I'm the deliverer. I'm going to do this. Two verses later, God says, Moses, you will bring my people out of Egypt. Our sufficient God accomplishes his purposes through insufficient people. Our extraordinary God does his work through ordinary people. So from Moses' calling, we are meant to learn about our own insufficient sufficiency. Insufficient sufficiency. It's like what the apostle Paul writes about his own calling many years after Exodus was written. Paul writes, who is sufficient for these things? Like who can actually do the work that God calls him to do? And he continues it a few verses later and says, but our sufficiency is from God. That's insufficient sufficiency. You and I, as we said, are not Moses. We don't have his calling, but we are given our own. God calls us first and foremost to to enter into his kingdom, to become part of his story. And then he calls us to play a role in his ongoing work of redemption in the world. And so some of us, like we're getting to celebrate today, some of us like Dana are sent, are called to the nations. Some of us, like the Kabakchians and the Geraldos and the Kernses and the Ogdens and the Rockies, Some of us are called to help new churches come into existence. Some of us are called to specific vocations where we have the opportunity to image God and to bless and serve people. Some of us are called to specific expressions of God's mercy and justice in the world. Foster care and adoption, serving the poor, addiction recovery, pushing back the wickedness of things like human trafficking and abortion. All of us, All of us are called to live and speak and serve as the presence of Jesus in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. All of us are called to be part of making disciples of Jesus who make other disciples of Jesus. Now, it's possible to radically overestimate yourself in this. It's possible, and no doubt in the room, that's some of us. Some of us radically overestimate ourselves in this. But I think, I think the majority of us in this room are instead consumed and paralyzed by a sense of our own insufficiency. When you think about the enormity and the significance of what God is calling you to, do you start to rattle off excuses? Why you have the wrong resume or reputation or the wrong abilities, or maybe just why you don't want to do it. God, I just don't want to do that. The younger among us might think, I'm too young. I don't have enough experience I don't have the training. I don't have the credibility to be effective. Maybe, maybe, but is that humility or is that reluctance? The older among us might think, I'm too old. I'm not relevant enough anymore. It's time for the the next generation to, to step in. It's time for me just to fade kind of into oblivion. I don't know, maybe, but is that humility or is that reluctance? For those of us maybe in the, the vast middle Our excuse is often busyness. And no doubt, right, you're busy. 
No doubt you're busy. But is that really the issue? Or is being busy perhaps for you just a screen to hide behind the fact that you're actually terrified and reluctant to do what you're actually called to do? Busyness can quickly become just a smokescreen to hide behind for us. Young, old, or anywhere in between, I implore you this morning, stop talking yourself out of being God's instruments in the world. Stop being consumed and paralyzed by your own insufficiency. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. We are insufficient. We are inadequate. But when has that ever stopped our all-sufficient God from accomplishing real deliverance through people like us? When has that ever stopped God from using insufficient, inadequate people like us? Never. And so today, men and women, right now, even in this moment, get your eyes off of your own insufficiency and fix them on the sufficiency of God. Because as incredible as Moses' calling is, as a Christian, yours is actually greater. Yours is greater. At the burning bush, Yahweh, this God named I am, promised to be with and to help Moses. And the rest of his life, God indeed was with him and did help him. But centuries later, Jesus Christ came into the world. And Jesus claimed this very personal name of God. John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jewish religious leaders, who would have known exactly what he was saying, before Abraham was, I am. And then offering up his life on the cross, rising from the dead, Jesus said to his followers, then and in every era, two things. I will be with you and I will help you. You heard it this morning during Dana's commissioning, Matthew 28. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God went with Moses in the form of a cloud by day and fire by night. Jesus goes with us by uniting us to himself. We are in Christ. We are joined with him in all of the benefits of his finished work. Jesus goes with us. And with Jesus, it's not simply, I will help you. But John chapter 15, I will send the capital H helper. I will send the helper. See, Moses might have had this cool staff. You have the spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit. So the refrain of the gospel, men and women, the refrain of our lives has now become, we can't, Jesus did, in him we can. We can't, Jesus did, in him we can. Embrace that today. You cannot bring deliverance into this world, but Jesus can, and Jesus did. And so therefore in him, we can. We can participate in the real deliverance that he is continuing to work in the world. Wherever your eyes are fixed on your own insufficiency this morning, fix them right now on Jesus instead. Instead of saying, please send someone else, may we always be a people who say, here am I, send me. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, you have given us the incredible good news of your gospel. And you have not only called us into your kingdom, you have then called us to be your people in this time and place. And so we ask for the faith and trust in you to respond to that call. We ask that you would help us by your spirit's presence within us, by your spirit's power to get our eyes off of our own inadequacies and to get our eyes on Jesus instead. And I pray that even for these moments that follow as we come to his table, Jesus, that we would at this table fix our eyes on you. 
insufficient, inadequate as we are, you are all sufficient God who gave your life for the life of the world. And so we come now to receive the grace that is ours by faith in you. And we pray that all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.